Hi, this is Laura with Kick-Ass in Life, where I help you get hired fast, be smart with money, and be a happier and healthier you. Hey everyone, apologies for not publishing an episode sooner. I was recently on a lovely trip through Yosemite and Lake Tahoe in California, having quite an adventure. I just realized how beautiful and vast this country is and how much I enjoyed traveling. That reminded me of this great interview I did with Rachel Redwall, who is an inspired traveler, wanderluster, and content creator and more. So this is a rerun of one of my most popular episodes, and if you haven't heard it yet, you're in for a treat. Two updates since the episode published I wanted to share. I now have a new ebook, my second, now live on Amazon, Kick Ass With Your Money, So feel free to check that out if you want a deeper dive on how to manage and understand your money. Also check out Skillshare, which has access to over 18,000 classes on anything from design to photography to marketing to technology. We'll talk a lot about photography and travel photography in this episode. I got you two months for free. Just go on kickassin.life forward slash tools forward slash partners to sign up for your two free months. I don't want to delay to get into today's interview. It's an inspirational doozy, especially for somebody who's in the same industry as our guest and has admired her career. Rachel Redwall is a travel host, a content creator, a writer and producer, photographer, but at her core, she's a storyteller. She's traveled all around the world, including all continents and 70 countries. She loves traveling because it drives her. She's inspired by the human interactions that fuel her and teach her, as well as the landscapes that keep her invested and grounded. She recently became an Explorers Club fellow, along the likes of Teddy Roosevelt, Elon Musk, and Buzz Aldrin. I was so lucky to have met Rachel when we worked together on a project at Mashable. She was a host for a video we were working on, and I've loved following along on all of her adventures since. What's so cool about Rachel is she was so determined to set out this path and travel media for herself by creating her own opportunities and traveling and hosting and reporting on her own, which led her to other opportunities to tell stories for media outlets, brands, and publishers. I love Rachel's perspective on work and how to stand apart in that work. I've invested a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of love, and a lot of money into creating my own opportunities, my own voice, my own platforms. And that has been an empowering process, a sometimes tiring process, but it's one that has been essential to people finding my work and saying, I'd like to hire you to do that. And and moreover, I'd like to pay you to do that. I had to do first for people to trust that I was capable of doing for them to the extent that they need it. It's clear she's put thought and effort with the choices she's made and has done really thoughtful, consistent, dedicated work. In today's episode, we talk about how you can create your own opportunity by showing what you can accomplish, how to network when you're just getting started by asking how you can support the other person, how to take feedback, especially when everything feels so personal, how to deal with imposter syndrome. And as somebody who puts herself out there all the time, Rachel has some great perspective on that. And how to explore the world without breaking the bank. How did you find yourself on that storytelling path? The cool thing about it is you don't necessarily just find yourself on it. You, Even if you don't know what it means to say, I want to be a storyteller, you can build the path. 
So you find yourself on it because you've put yourself on it. You've determined at some point, this is a path I'd like to participate in. For me, it was the result of getting an internship. I got this internship that involved both media and travel. And for me, that was a dream job. I had never thought of a job specifically in travel media. I didn't know that existed. I was in small town Ohio. I thought that if I wanted to do something with travel for a career path, I'd either be going the diplomacy route or maybe work for an NGO, a non-governmental organization. So I got this internship that involved both travel and storytelling and was like, uh, I would like to do that please. And from there, basically had to figure out what that actually meant, what it might look like, how to build a path as a storyteller. And the culmination of the things that I've done now, 10 years out, would be that I can say I've successfully worked in that storytelling path in a whole bunch of different capacities. But it was like a choose your own adventure, basically. I had this internship and I went, how do I make that a real lifestyle and a real job? That is so cool. So when you so when you made that assessment that you really liked this and that you realized that it could be viable, what did that look like when you graduated and trying to figure out which opportunity would bring you closer to that goal? I did everything that I could to use what uh, some call Google University. <laughs> I'd use Google University to the best of my ability, meaning I, I was online like, how do I work in TV? How do I become a writer? How do I, you know, I was Google searching everything that I could. And I ended up finding platforms like LinkedIn, which allowed me an opportunity to connect with people who were already doing the thing that I aspired to do. And I began looking through their resumes and learning terminology that I hadn't learned in college because I was not studying anything related to media or communications or journalism. So I'd find these profiles of people that said they were showrunners or editors um, or, you know, EPs, executive producers. And I reached out to a whole bunch of them and said, hi, I'm Rachel. I admire what you do. I just got back from three months traveling 15 countries as a storyteller for STA Travel. I would love to connect for 15 minutes for an informational interview if you have time available. Or if they were closer to where I was geographically, I would love to take you out for a coffee and learn more about what you do. And I kind of expected that if I sent, say, 100 messages or emails, I would hear back from one or two people. And that would have been a blessing. Because really, often we get caught up in, in our own minds going, well, I don't want to put myself out there because what if people reject me? What if people don't reply? The worst that could possibly happen is you don't hear anything. And when you think about it, that's not really scary. That's not a tremendous consequence. So I sent all these messages and I ended up hearing back from a vast number of people who were incredibly generous with their time or their knowledge that they'd worked many years to gain. And that was how I started to piece together a picture of what it was that I wanted to do. Okay, I'm going to move to LA because LA or New York or DC, they all have storytelling um, in the line of storytelling that I wanted to do, which was documentary style. Then I was like, if I move to LA, these are the types of jobs I want to pursue. I know I'll have to start as a production assistant on TV if that's the path that I'm going to take. 
And I just gathered as much information as I could in order to make those big decisions, like making a big move across the country, starting a career path that I didn't know anybody in. And what ended up happening is a number of those people who had responded to me on LinkedIn or via email, those became my first points of contact and eventually my network of allies and peers when I was in LA, which is a beautiful thing. So I didn't have to feel in the long run, like I was alone and like, I don't know anybody or I don't know what I'm doing. There were always people that I could reach out to and say, can I support you on the project you're on? I think that is so smart. And I think that you can't do that enough. And people genuinely want to help other people. So I think your your ask out there on LinkedIn for 15 minutes of somebody's time, because you're so curious about what they do, I think is really going out, out about it the right way. And I think, you know, some people think it's an informational interview is all about like, okay, what job opportunities are there for me? Um, but that's not the right way to approach it. The right way to approach it is, is how you did of seeking out knowledge from people that have been in the industry for years who would love to share what they know with somebody who's eager and curious and interested in what they do. Yeah. And there are a few things to keep in mind. One is that you know so little at that point. And and usually by the time we're in our early 20s, we think we know a lot. We don't. Here's spoiler alert for life. You will always be learning. <laughs> like always. If you're doing it right, you'll always be learning. You will never know all there is to know, period. So approaching it with the knowledge that you don't know it all and it's a real gift to be able to learn from others is the right perspective. And also, being able to say, I would love to learn from you, that's very different than saying, do you have a job for me? Because if you say, are you hiring, that really only opens the conversation up to a one-word answer, yes or no. If the answer is no, no, we're not hiring, no, there aren't any jobs currently available, end of conversation. But if you say, I'd love to learn from you, that allows for a much broader potential conversation that could end up with the result of, hey, we're hiring, whether it's in, you know, at the end of the conversation or it's in six weeks when something opens up. And I think that people of younger generations have gotten in a bad habit. And I would include myself in this where it's like, my perspective was, here's what I want. How do I get it? And you end up living in a space of what can the world do for me? And you need to shift that to what can I do for the world? Contact people and say, how can I support you? Not how can you support me? People don't owe you anything. And it is so beautiful when those people are willing to share what they have worked so hard to earn. So don't ever reach out and be like, hi, I want to know everything. Like, you know, tell it to me here right now. I get messages all the time from people that I've never heard from. And they're like, hi, what's your favorite place and why? Let me know now. Thanks. And I'm like, mm. what do you mean? Why do what? Why do I owe you that? That's really weird. And so you don't want to be that person. And a pro tip, if you actually do your research and you know about the person you're contacting and you can show that, 
that's a great life hack because it shows them that you're willing to do your homework and also that you're not so egocentric that you forget the person that you're reaching out to should be um, feeling that they're more important than you are. If you make it sound like it's about you, you're on the losing end of the battle. If you make it sound like, hey, I admire what you do and you fluff their ego a little bit, then they're going to want to be allies. Yeah, I think that all of what you said, I think, is so, so important. And and at any place you are in your career, because a career is about building relationships, which I think you do a super great job of. And I think that the sooner you start realizing that, you know, networking and building your network is all about building relationships and, to your point, these allies, um, the better it is because they're, they're the people that can help you um, grow in your career. And in turn, you can help them because everybody needs to learn something. And so maybe the person you're contacting needs to learn a social media strategy and you're super good at that. And so you can offer what you know to help them as they're helping you. And it can just be a reciprocal little circle of greatness that you're helping each other, which is so great. Absolutely. I like the circle of greatness idea. People sometimes get the wrong idea about networking where it's like, speed dating and everyone has a bunch of gel in their hair and you just trade business cards and it's like, what can you do for me? <laughs> it doesn't have to be that way. If you are actually kind to other humans, <laughs> then usually they'll want to be kind to you. And people do have the bandwidth to, to be good to people that have been good to them. That's networking is showing up for people. And it's really as simple as that. Show up, be kind, work hard. That is how to do networking, how to build relationships, how to build a career path. Because every time you show up, you act kind, you work hard, the people that you have been working for or with will see that and they will do their best to align you with another opportunity moving forward. And this little circle of greatness continues to expand where you continue to meet new people that you can do good work for. And it gets uh, more and more and more developed and more rich in terms of what you're given access to along the way. Incredible. Well said. So in your first few jobs, what were some ways that you really stood apart in and did the right things? And I'm sure it, it had a little bit to do with working hard, showing up. But what else, what are some other ways that you really tried to, to stand apart and do good work in your first few jobs? Something I learned early on is that asking questions is actually empowered. We often, when we're new to things, think that if we ask a question, it makes us look like we're out of the loop, like we're ill-equipped. We think, oh, if I'm asking questions, you're going to know that I don't know. It is better to ask the question and take control of that situation. Hey, what does that actually mean? Or where does this go? Uh, and then get it right to show that you want to actively participate in the process of learning than to get it wrong because you didn't want to look like you didn't know what you were doing. So it's much better to say, how do I do this? Than to, you know, a day later, have your higher ups realize you've been doing the thing wrong and everyone has to undo and redo the work. Asking questions is empowered. And wanting to learn is empowered as well. People see 
wanting to learn as an integral part of any career path. And often when we are trying to prove that we're capable or the right person for the job, not only do we not ask questions, but we act like we know a lot more than we do, which makes us come off as arrogant or closed-minded. And that does not benefit anybody. It ends up making you look like kind of an (laughs) a-hole. And the rest of your team is like, what we really need is somebody who's willing to learn. That's the mindset that you need to bring into any job, I would say throughout your life. Um, But particularly at the beginning, when you are starting out, there's so much that you don't know. And that is a beautiful thing. Yeah, I love that because I think you should be in a place of where you're curious about everything and so that you're asking those those smart questions and and if somebody offers you a suggestion on how to do something better as opposed to getting defensive and feeling that way, trying to take that feedback as a gift and trying to improve. Um, and I think that's a that's a mind shift too, because I think to your point, you're trying to you're always trying to prove yourself and how 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 good you are, how smart you are. Um, but but coming at it from the the opposite direction of what can I really learn from this situation? How can I learn from these people? Um, how can I improve something? I think is a, a smarter way of going about it. And I like that you point out that people need to learn to take constructive criticism, essentially. I grew up in a generation where everyone was praised just for showing up to things. You got a participation trophy just for being on the soccer team, right? It's like, hi, unique snowflakes. You're all so special (laughs) and so wonderful and can do no wrong. I don't think that that benefits us as much as we think it does sometimes. Sure. It's great that we all think I can be anything I want to be, but also it makes us egocentric and entitled and lazy because we think we should be praised just for showing up. And that's not true. We actually have to learn and be active participants in the team. And one of the things that for me, I mean, I, I'm kind of a perfectionist. I always wanted to get good grades and do well. And I also wear my heart on my sleeve and I take things personally. And so it's been a process for me to learn not only to take direction, but take direction and constructive criticism gracefully and not personally. It's not personal. If you're not doing something well or you could be doing it better, It's not personal. It's just a matter of fact. And there's this great phrase that you can apply to whether it's your work or your personal life. Feelings aren't facts. Mm, mm -hmm. You might get criticism for a thing you've done that you could be doing better or differently, that you could be doing in a manner that helps your team more. And you shouldn't take it personally just because of how you feel. Because how you feel actually doesn't relate at all to the facts. The facts are you could be doing this in a better way to benefit your team or the outcome of the project you're working on. So it's okay to feel a certain way, but it isn't about you. So you need to learn to put that aside. Okay, that makes me feel anxious or that makes me feel self-conscious. Fine. That's not abnormal. It's not to say you shouldn't have those feelings. But look it in the eye and then go, 
all right, I recognize that's just how I feel. It's not even how somebody presented the information. Now, how do I take this and make it better? Yeah, absolutely. And I think also like when you feel those feelings, writing them down, I think is helpful because it tries to get them out of your mind and on paper of the things that you're, um, the things that you're feeling. But I think that, you know, taking your feelings out of it and realizing it's not a personal attack. These are, <laughs> it's just about the work and, um, you know, trying to, to not take it so personally, I think will um, will help and realize that people are ultimately trying to help you and they're coming from a place of of good. And I think even just that mind shift helps, helps people really um, digest it um, easily. Um, you, so you're somebody who, you know, you put yourself out there, you are a host, um, you're on all types of videos and shows. Um, it takes a lot of guts to do that. Um, have you ever experienced any feelings of imposter syndrome? And how do you deal with that? Oh, girl, <laughs> all, all <laughs> the time. The, um, the amazing thing about this path is you consistently have to put yourself out there and subject yourself to potential criticism and be aware that there are going to be people who disagree with the way that you're doing things or don't think you're the best fit for it or whatever. And again, because I, I wear my heart on my sleeve and I do mm, feel deeply it is always terrifying to put myself out there in ways that I think, okay, I'm about to open myself up to a whole bunch of potential critiques. And um, one of the times most recently where I really felt imposter syndrome has, um, I think, great potential to show just how far we can all come in in stopping self-doubt, where Last year, I was reached out to by a guy who's a chapter leader in what is called the Explorers Club. The Explorers Club is this prolific group of explorers around the world who were the first people on the summit of Everest, the first people to the greatest depths in the ocean, the first people to the North Pole and the South Pole and the surface of the moon. We're talking. Teddy Roosevelt, Elon Musk, Buzz Aldrin. I was reached out to by a chapter leader of this organization who said, Rachel, I found your work online. I think you would be a terrific candidate for membership in the Explorers Club. And I was bowled over. I was like, oh my God, this is a dream. I would love it. But I also felt very confident that I was not qualified. And this goes back to what we were saying before. Feelings aren't facts. I felt like if I were applying, I would be a fraud. I felt confident that I did not have what it took. I was like, I haven't discovered new mountains, new species. I haven't been the first person to descend a raging river in the Amazon or whatever. And I sent an email back to the guy like, I don't know if I have the qualifications. And he said, let's get on the phone. You do. We got on the phone, we talked, he was very encouraging. I got off the phone and was like, that's nice of him, but I'm probably not qualified, right? And and he on <laughs> our call was like, hey, listen, I'm a member because I discovered some dinosaur bones, but really it was kind of casual. And I'm like, oh my God, I haven't discovered dinosaur bones. <laughs> like, there's no way. So I reached out to someone else I knew who was a member 
And he also said, no, you've got what it takes. I'll co-sponsor you. If that guy's sponsoring you, I'll be the second sponsor. You need two sponsors. I still put off applying for <laughs> six or eight months because I was so scared that I didn't have what it took. And what was really amazing is I was having a conversation with a guy who's edited a number of projects of mine and we're catching up over lunch and I told him about this thing and I was really excited, but also nervous. And he knows that as a woman in this career path, I'm often told no, because I'm a woman, whether or not people say it directly, the amount of jobs that I've been up for that are travel shows, action adventure shows, outdoor shows, the amount of jobs I've been up for that have ultimately gone to men is large. There are a lot of instances where being a woman either directly or indirectly hindered my ability to be hired as the quote unquote expert just because I was a woman, right? So this guy says to me, Rachel, if you are so used to everybody telling you no because you're a woman, why are you? telling yourself no in a context where other people are saying yes. And I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> like, I'm, <laughs> I'm the only person holding myself back. And that was the phrasing that I needed to hear, the kind of tough love. And I applied. And not only did I get approved for member level, they upgraded my application to fellow, where I'm now a fellow alongside people who have PhDs, people who have discovered new mountain ranges, cave systems, and rivers. And it's normally reserved for people who've made tremendous contributions to the furthering of scientific and environmental knowledge around the world. And they upgraded my application when I didn't even think that I was qualified for their member level. I suffered such imposter syndrome that I crippled myself for the better part of a year. And normally I try to push through that. Normally you have to push through that. It takes having people around you to encourage you along the way who say you are enough, you're capable, you've been training for this, and you're the expert that you should be to get it. But sometimes you still can't get past that nagging voice in your own brain that says, well, it's possible you're just not enough. And in those moments, you need to regroup. You need to find ways to shift your thinking because it's basically the same as, as that mindset we were discussing earlier. If you send an email asking for an informational interview and someone doesn't reply, that's really not that bad of an outcome. If that's the worst case scenario, you're fine. Same with Explorers Club. If I had applied and they said you aren't qualified yet, that's really not that big of a deal. I could have come back in two years or five years and applied again, but I held myself back because I doubted myself. Well, I think that is an incredible example of, of the power of imposter syndrome. So, you know, there's something in front of you that you're, you're more than capable of, of joining and doing yet you, you know, we have this tendency to self-select ourselves out of opportunities because it's scary or we think we're not good enough. Um, we don't apply for those jobs because we don't have all of the skills required. Um, and, and, it, and it is hard, but I, I like what you said about surrounding yourself with a support system um, because 
the world is hard. So we shouldn't make it any harder on ourselves by um, not going for those things. And, um, you know, I've heard some people celebrating their failures by creating failure resumes. And I kind of like this idea. I like the idea of you're putting yourself out there so much that you'll, you'll track the, the failures that you'll have because you're, you're going out of your comfort zone. You are not just doing the things that you know you'll easily succeed at, but you're trying things outside of your comfort zone. And I think even on the small level of like doing things every day that like scare you slightly, and whether it's like talking to a random person on the subway, like smiling at somebody, like the things that will get you out of your comfort zone ever so slightly so that you can kind of build up that muscle. So when you, when you need to be bold, you can be bold. And, um, but yeah, I love what you said about, uh, surrounding yourself with those, those people that can also give you that tough love when you need it. Yes. And um, I love the idea of a failure resume. I am able to see with clarity how a number of experiences that I believed were failures at the time taught me essential lessons that I wouldn't be successful without learning. Whether it's the ability to receive no with grace, the ability to hear no and not take it personally, whether it is the clarity of intention that comes from having something not go as planned, where suddenly you have to circle the wagons and dig in and remember why it is you're doing what you're doing. All of those things come from for me anyway, not succeeding in the traditional sense. And there are successes in each of those perceived failures where suddenly you come out the other side wizened and more capable. And you're able to refocus your energy on really honing the skills that you need and on clarifying that vision and saying, okay, uh, what next? Now that I know that I'm still in this, now that I know I need to work on it, or now that I know that wasn't the right opportunity for me, what next? There is this artist that I follow. Um, her account on Instagram is by Marie Andrew. And she writes thoughtful musings in the form of art, basically. And her stuff is super charming. And I just found this post last weekend that she called her rejection series, which was she took these really heartbreaking rejection letters from publishers and she made them into little pieces of art along the way to hopefully lessen the sting of hearing people say, hi, cute ideas, not for us, moving on. And she actually put it out there and published for all to see this rejection series. And she has now been published, but it's each one that you read, you're like, oh, God, that stings so badly, <laughs> you know, and you can feel it. And you can only imagine how it would feel that this is her baby. And it's it's not getting received well. And now she has managed after more time and more energy and more love to not only succeed, but find the humor in all of those moments where somebody said, nope, we Yeah, passed. and I think it's like a, a reclaiming of failure in a certain way and like owning owning it. And my dad was in sales. So he would always say, 
um, every no is one step closer to a yes. And that really helped me when I'm thinking about my, my career. And it's just, you know, trying to do, do the things you get, you get the no's, but you pile up the no's because the, the more no's you get, you'll get closer to those yeses. And you'll, then you'll start hearing yeses more. Um, but you have to kind of get through the slog of the no's in order to get that yes. Um, and yeah, so for I you, love that. you are somebody who, as a storyteller, you're constantly also creating all of your own opportunities. Um, how would you recommend somebody, somebody do that? I would say if there's anything you want to do, start by doing. Don't assume that it takes somebody else to give you that opportunity for it to happen. If I, after graduation, had gone out and said, I want to be a storyteller, you should hire me as a field producer or a camera operator or a writer for your magazine and pay me, no one would have hired me because I wasn't good enough yet. And what I had to do was learn by doing. In some cases, it meant working as a production assistant or a coordinator on a show or an associate producer eventually on a show. But in other cases, when it came to telling stories that I wanted to tell that I wasn't being paid to tell, I had to go out and do it myself. Shoot photography, write articles that I knew no one was going to pay me to write that might give me a byline on somebody's blog. Start producing videos and hosting videos on YouTube because I knew no one was hiring female travel hosts. And I've invested a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of love, and a lot of money into creating my own opportunities, my own voice, my own platforms. And that has been an empowering process, a sometimes tiring process, but it's one that has been essential to people finding my work and saying, I'd like to hire you to do that. And, and moreover, I'd like to pay you to do that. I had to do first for people to trust that I was capable of doing for them to the extent. Yeah, that I think that, I think that's great advice. And I think being willing to do the things that other people don't do in order to get noticed. And I think a lot of people might say, Oh, well, I, I want to, I want to be a storyteller, but, uh, uh, camera's expensive. So I, I really, you know, I'm just gonna wait until somebody pays me to do that. And then you'll just be waiting forever. Because whereas you there have gone yeah. out, you've created those opportunities, you've made those videos, and now you're getting paid um, to do what you love, where that person's still waiting, waiting for the opportunity, because they didn't have the body of work to support what they wanted to do. Um, yeah, and we talk ourselves out of things, because we know it's going to be hard. I mean, that's the the thing that we as human animals do we go like oh well I, it's just uh not available to me right now but um you know maybe later and if you're really serious about wanting to learn and you have a cell phone you can make videos by shooting on your cell phone and editing with free edit software and using royalty free music tracks you can write articles based on your favorite cafe in your little town and get creative with the wording and secure a free website on Wix.com, W-I-X. You can do, not hashtag not sponsored. Um, you, can, you can do so many things without investing money up front with the tools that you already have. 
And if you don't have a phone that has video capabilities, then figure out if there are organizations in your town that do. I know that I donated a whole bunch of camera gear to an organization in Los Angeles for young women who want to be video journalists in a, uh, an area that doesn't have the funds to buy gear for the students, right? There are going to be ways for you to start learning to be a storyteller, start creating your own path without investing money up front. And you shouldn't talk yourself out of it by saying, well, that's not available to me. I don't have the tools because that's not true. That's just the easy way out. But it also yeah. means you'll never get Thank there. you. Well said. Um, now, as somebody who is sort of now, I mean, at this point, an expert in traveling, what is your travel philosophy? How do you travel? Um, do you still find, even though you know, you're doing it for work, where do you find the enjoyment out of travel? Why travel? For me, travel comes down to a couple of really beautiful things, no matter where I'm going. One, uh, the human interactions fuel me. They inspire me and they teach me. Every time that I go out into the world to experience, whether it's a new place or a place that I've been before, but I'm seeing for new reasons, it's the human interactions that ground me. Because it's people that teach you about tradition or food or, you know, the trees in the area, the wildlife you might see, or what it's like to sit down at a dinner table with a local family. The landscapes are another thing that always keep me invested and grounded and inspired. I find perspective in places that are big and wide open and sometimes moody when it comes to weather or, um, you know, craggy peaks. When I'm in a place where I'm tiny, where I'm the size of a speck of dust in comparison, I feel at home because it reminds me how small I am and that I'm really fortunate to be a part of it in the first place. Those driving forces of the, the human connection and the landscape that grants perspective mean that there will always be a reason for me to step outside the front door and explore. And I recognize not everybody has the budget all the time to, to go someplace that's far away. That's fine. I think what's really essential is recognizing that every time that you are stepping out the front door and going to participate in the world around you, there are new experiences to be had and people to learn from. We have to just open our minds to the perspective that every day is an adventure. Every moment is a chance to learn and connect and be a part of something I, bigger. I, I, think that's really, I think that's really smart. And travel is one of my favorite things to do in, in a way that I love to um, spend um, spend money, not even a lot of money. I think there's really effective ways you can travel and see the world on a budget. What would be some travel hacks or tips that you may have? Any any travel destinations to check out or or even just getting the most out of a place? Some of the things that I have done over the years to be able to travel, even when I felt like I didn't have any money. I mean, I was traveling while I was going to college on loans and scholarships, I traveled 
after I graduated from college, when I had loans that I was repaying and I was only making something like $30,000 a year in Los Angeles, some of the ways that I found to travel were to look for fair sales, looking on kayak, for example, plugging in a route that you'd like to travel. If you want to fly from where you are to Tokyo or Cape Town, you can plug that in and then set for yourself a fair alert that lets you know when that drops between, you know, X point and Y point. These are the, this is the price point that I need. You set that fair window. And if that route drops to a place where you've set that, uh, that window, it will notify you that, hey, this ticket is now within your budget range, you should buy. And I subscribe to an email chain called Scott's Cheap Flights. And there are all sorts of email blasts I get that are like, you know, LA to Seoul, South Korea, 453. We think this fare will be around for the next 24 hours. Here are the months that you can travel on it. Here's the airline. And they actually walk you through how to book it. Sometimes there are things called mistake fares where an airline accidentally pu publishes a ticket, they say, is, is 100 bucks to go from Denver to Reykjavik, right? And they meant to say 1000 but they forgot the extra zero. You can buy that mistake fare. And sometimes the airline will come back and say, oops, that was a mistake. We're refunding you your money. But oftentimes, they'll actually let people keep the fare. So you should subscribe to different email chains. Uh, Travel Zoo is one as well where I've bought deals. And sometimes it'll inspire tremendous wanderlust because you're sitting there knowing you can't buy into most of the fares. That's how I feel. But in those chances where you can actually buy, it's a brilliant way to do it. Stay in hostels. If you're looking to stay someplace on a budget, there are places that have dorms that are co-ed or that are all female or all male. And you can stay in those for super cheap. And they have a shared bathroom as well. Once you start to earn a little extra cash, if you're like, well, I'd like to travel on a budget, but I don't want to stay in a dorm, you can still stay in a hostel, but in a private room, sometimes with your own bathroom, but you still have the benefit of meeting other young travelers when you're gathering for breakfast or hanging out in the lounge at the hostel or whatever. Um, also, eat like locals do. I mean, stay stay like locals do we often want and seek out the familiar when we're far away from home but that also can cost a lot more so if we're staying in a fancy western hotel versus a traditional japanese what would be called a ryokan or an inn we're going to be spending more because we're staying in a western style hotel room whereas if we stay in a japanese ryokan we're staying on these really comfy little stuffed tatami mats on the floor and you know, it's, it's a different setup, but you can save a lot of money That's by great. doing it. Um, and do. I think that we realize how accessible travel can be with those, with those deals. And we should use the internet to its advantage because there are so many deal sites out there that, that make travel very, um, very affordable if you, if you do the little extra digging. So thank you for those suggestions. Um, so what's next for you? How are you kicking ass? <laughs> I would say I'm kicking ass by sticking to the path, meaning sometimes kicking ass looks like big accomplishments. And a good example would be the Explorers Club. I found out last week or a week and a half ago I was part of the Explorers Club. That felt like kicking ass. But 
that's the 10% of the proverbial iceberg that people see. And the other 90% is just sticking with it and plugging away and continuing to get better at whatever it is that you're doing. Right now, I honestly believe that I'm kicking ass by sticking with it, by continuing to put out content, strengthen relationships, work really hard for people. And that has been a, a cool revelation for me because I've always been driven by a need to see tangible results. And fairly suddenly over the last year or so, I've felt less in a hurry because it doesn't make sense to rush if you don't know where <laughs> you're going. <laughs> and it's been really nice to settle in and, and, and be like, I'm just going to keep getting better and being really good at what I do and working hard for each of the opportunities that comes my way or each of the things that, that I create. And it doesn't need to result in one specific thing or another. I'm kind of mm, working as well to lessen my grip on expectations because when I have certain expectations then whether things go better or worse than expected, I was still attached to the expectation. And I have to adapt to whatever the situation has become. And I'd rather not spend energy on that. I'm spending energy instead on what is here and what is now. And that has been really a shift in the way that I'm Well, congratulations. Thinking. I mean, it's incredible how much you've you've accomplished and congratulations for the Explorers Club. That's got to feel like a really big, you know, feather in your cap in terms of the path that you're on. So, um, and I think that's really smart advice to, you know, you know, there are times in our lives where we, um, you know, we, we, we're putting our foot on the accelerator, we're going really fast, but, but if you don't know where you're going, then, um, then that's kind of ineffective. But I think being really strategic about what your path is, thinking about it and being smart with the decisions you make in order to stay on it and keep putting in the work and the effort will definitely pay off for you. So yeah, thank you. And thank you for, um, thank you for today. So tell us how we can find you. I would love to hear from any of you at Rachel Romes, R-A-C-H-E-L, R-O-A-M as in Michael, S as in Sam. Uh, that's on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. It's also rachelromes.com for my website. Definitely reach out if there's a, a, an idea that you have, if you find inspiration in a post that I share and say how you found me because it'd be great to hear that you've, that you've actually heard these stories through the, the podcast. Rachel, thank you that so much. Fun. Yeah, thank you. What a treat to talk. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Thank you to Rachel with all of her great wisdom. I invite you to check out her site, rachelromes.com, as well as her Instagram. I get such wanderlust from it. Without further ado, here are today's top takeaways. Number one, when you're networking, Rachel shared how she really reframed. And as opposed to thinking about all the things that the world can give her, she thought about what she can do for the world. So ask people how I can support you. Networking is showing up for people, being kind and working hard. Number two, criticism is never easy, but Rachel had a really good perspective on it. Feelings aren't facts. Don't take it personally. It's not personal. 
if you could be doing a better job, it's just a matter of fact. And so taking that perspective and and understanding how that criticism can fuel you and improve you. Number three, failure isn't always failure. There's a lot you can learn from it and including maybe an ability to receive no with grace um, or not taking it personally. It could also be an opportunity to remind yourself of why you're doing what you're doing. Sometimes your greatest successes can come from that failure. Number four, create, make the thing, do the thing. Rachel was so good at that. She picked up a camera. She wanted to work in media, so she just shot and edited her own videos. We are our toughest critics. We often talk ourselves out of something because we think it'll be hard. So if you're serious about wanting to learn, you can do so many things without investing a lot of money up front with the tools you already have. So just get started. And number five, Rachel had so many great recommendations for how to travel, travel cheaply and in a very affordable way. So whether that be staying in hostels or subscribing to Scott's Cheap Flights, Travel Zoo, or other sites like that, there's just a plethora of opportunities for you to get out and explore the world. Thank you again for giving this episode a listen. That's it for today. Thank you for giving this a listen. I invite you to check out my ebook, now live on Amazon, Kick-Ass in Your Career. If you have any questions at all, anything I can help you with, email me, kickassinyourlife at gmail.com. Others have done that, and I've really enjoyed interacting with you guys. My Instagram is kickassin.life, as well as my URL, kickassin.life, with more of a deeper dive, additional information to help you kick ass in your life. Until next time.